Good to be with you once again. Uh, hope you had a good Christmas. And uh, anybody here have to travel a long distance? A few people, but many of us kind of stayed locally, right, and had a great time. In the course of my Christmas shopping, I came across some uh, napkins, and it had some words on it. And uh, it said that it was the uh, four stages of life. So the first one is that you believe in Santa Claus. I don't know. Have you seen this? Okay. Uh, the second one is uh, you no longer believe in Santa Claus. The third one is, you are Santa Claus. The fourth one is, you start to look like Santa Claus, right? So, hopefully uh, none of us will end up like that. I don't know. Um, it's been a long time since I've actually preached here. Um, I think the last time I preached here was nine years ago. And um, I was in a different place, and you were in a different place, and our world was in a different place. Uh, but, but one thing that never ever changes is our need as God's people, uh, to be on a process of growth in maturity in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is, uh, Jesus being the, the power for living the Christian life. And as my main text, if you have a Bible with you, I don't think it's going to be up on the screen. So, um, I'm, I'm going to be looking at Romans 7. This morning, the power for living the Christian life. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 7. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be starting at uh, verse 7. These, of course, are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says here, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me. And through that commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, uh, sorry, yeah, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for every good thing that comes from you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We remember his being incarnated into this world as our Redeemer and Savior and Lord. And many of us, perhaps all of us in this room this morning, have given our lives to Jesus, have realized that uh, he is the answer to who we are, that he made us and he died for us and he wants to redeem us and uh, wants to give us a life abundantly, not only in eternity when we're with him in heaven, but on this earth as well. We know that being born again just takes a moment of faith, but becoming like Jesus is a lifetime process. And this is what we're engaged in. This is the journey that we're on. And we want to take this seriously, Lord. We want to walk with you closely. We want to grow in you. We want to serve you. We want to be like you to the people around us, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and to the world around us that may not know you. And so, Lord, this morning, uh, you know where each and every one of us are. Maybe some of us are kind of trudging along, you know, just kind of taking a few steps back and one step forward, and we really want to grow, and but we're just struggling. Maybe some of us are on the autobahn spiritually, Lord. We're just we're just jettisoning. We're just we're just running along, and we're growing in you by leaps and bounds. Maybe some of us are not really sure what this all means. But if we've given our lives to you, Jesus, we are in process, and each one of us needs you and needs that power that comes from you to live this life according to how you want us to live it for your glory for the glory of god so now as we uh, delve into the scriptures lord jesus i pray you would apply these words to the hearts and lives of everyone here in your name we pray amen so before i went in the ministry um i was into commercial art so i was a graphic artist for about seven or eight years and so making an ad for a company or a business uh, was a lengthy process. It was, you know, it took months. So you started with the product. What was the product that we were selling? Then we moved on to how to market that product. You know, who's, who's going to buy this product and what should we be saying to them about it? And then you had to come up with a concept um, you know, what is so different about this product as opposed uh, to the same product sold by a different company? And then you would come up with the cell, and then you'd make up the artboards, and they'd go to film back then. Today it's done a little bit differently, but it went to film, and then it went to press, and the ad was in the paper, and you look back and you go, wow, you know, you see the ad, but there's a lengthy process to it. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word process as being a course of action as a series of stages in manufacturing and as a natural or involuntary course of change as in growing older. 
So what's so significant about the word process when it comes to the Christian life? Well, I've been talking about it a little bit. The Christian life has often been described as being a process, a process of progress. The Protestant reformers in the 16th century, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, and all those guys, uh, coined the Latin phrase semper reformanda, semper reformanda, uh, which, which basically means always reforming, always transforming, always changing. In other words, they held that coming to Christ in faith and repentance is just the beginning, right? Just the beginning of a lifelong journey and process in our becoming more spiritually mature and like Christ. To put this another way, we could say that the Christian spiritual life is one that comes with some assembly required. And what that essentially means is that over the span of our lifetime, God wills to do a good work in us, to shape us, to be the people of His praise until that work is completed when we get to heaven. The opposite of that, I suppose, would be to live a compromised and stagnant Christian life. Unfortunately, some Christians are just a shell of what God wants their life to be because they haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to truly change them and put them on that path of a process in spiritual progress. I want you to imagine a beautiful home. Maybe it's your home, but a beautiful home with lovely features to it. Well, imagine what you'd think of that house if there was never any electricity in it. And uh, you would not be able to feel warmth on in the winter or, or air conditioning during the summer. There would never be lights on in it. Well, all of a sudden, this, this beautiful home really wouldn't be all that it could be. It wouldn't really feel as good about the home. Then I want you to imagine a new, shining, spiffy car parked out in your driveway. Okay? Can you see it? Maybe it's red, maybe it's blue. And the problem with this car is that it's lacking an engine. So you see the car, and it's, and it's, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, but then you kind of scratch your head and you go, yeah, but it's kind of useless without an engine. What a waste, you say. We're not going to go very far without a working and empowered engine. Even if you, know, you want to get into that car and drive it around. Even if it's amazing looking, it's a vehicle that is one only in name. Just like the house is one that's just only a house in name. We can't really live in that house without electricity. And we can't really drive the car. We can't really go in the car and go anywhere with it because it's lacking power to do so. It is possible to live the Christian life in such a way that it resembles a beautiful home without any electricity in it and therefore can't really be enjoyed just as much as is possible to, uh, for us to live our Christian lives in such a way that they resemble an amazingly new spiffy car that lacks an engine. What a waste. What a shame that many believers have bought into a carnal and pseudo and wayward kind of Christianity and not the Godward life. As the saying goes, it's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. In other words, it's not the Christian in the world that poses a danger to the quality of his or her spirituality, but rather it's the world in the Christian. What a shame that some are Christians but are seemingly only one in name who are not functioning spiritually the way that Jesus saved them to function. 
What a waste because Jesus' vision and plan for our lives as God's people contains so much more than what we're often willing to settle for. Don't you find that that's true? When it comes to the Christian life, we get the process part, right? We don't come to Christ spiritually mature and with full knowledge of His Word and will for our lives and with our spiritual gifts fully developed. They're all parts that need to be assembled as we journey with Jesus. We get that. But what we often stumble on, and I think you'll agree, is that power element. That that power element to living the Christian life. Because there's that tug of war taking place between the will and Word of God and our sinful nature. And we're often finding that we're lacking that that willpower to be and do for the Lord what He wants us to be and do for Him. Lacking in our ability to, to carry through with His will for our lives. And we live every day in the tension of that battle. Well, this is where the counsel of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 sheds some much-needed insight on the topic and becomes for us this morning a great word of encouragement and hope as we struggle through this life. You know, Paul thought that he could live a righteous life just by being zealous about fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament law. You say Old Testament law, Mosaic law, God's law. And so he was zealous to fulfill every iota of the law. But the problem with that was that God never designed the Ten Commandments or the entire Mosaic Law to be our ultimate guide to achieving a righteous life. That job belongs to Jesus Christ. And neither did God ordain the Old Testament Law to be our source of power to live out the Christian life. That job belongs to the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul found out that the Law or the commandments that the Lord gave to Moses to give to the nation of Israel... Um, didn't possess the power to help God's people live an obedient and productive spiritual life. In fact, the law had the opposite effect, right? It had the opposite effect on them. All it did was rouse the rebellious nature of God's people into action, like Paul had said earlier in chapter 7. In other words, the law actually ended up kind of stirring the pot of our sinful nature, right? Kind of stimulating the sinful desires within us and within God's people, which proved that they were wholly incapable, right? Wholly incapable of helping themselves and then exposed their need for God to change their hearts and their lives. It's like the cookie jar analogy. You tell a child... Thou shalt not put your hands in the freshly cooked uh, chocolate chip cookie jar. And what do they do? Well, a dirty mouth and a few fallen crumbs later, the evidence is there that they couldn't hold back because we told them not to do it. There's the rule. There's the law. But it stimulates the curiosity and the nature within a child that maybe... I need to do it anyway. Because obviously it's good. Because I was told I can't have it. And they follow through. The rule was known. The law was known. But there was no willpower within the child from from, from trying to hold back. And that is kind of how it works with our lives as God's people. We know what God wants for us and we know what He wills for us. But right there alongside it is that possibility of sin that just attractively blares at us and it's enticing us to rebel and then of course we have to deal with the devil who plays on our weaknesses as well 
And so often we find that we lack in our ability that, that willpower to, to carry through, to carry out which, that which God desires for us and do it consistently. And this was a problem that even the great Apostle Paul himself felt very acutely in his life. Despite all that Paul accomplished for God, right? All we have to do is read through a book like Acts. And then we go to the New Testament letters and, 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 and see how, you know, um, efficient this man was evan- evangelistically and how smart he was and, and, and the churches he planted and the things that he accomplished for the Lord, right? We're talking about great things. He also knew, this, this great pastor, this great man of God also knew what it was like to be a sinner saved by grace and that he was a Christian in process. And he knew what it was like to fail in being and doing all that Jesus had for him to be and do. Paul knew what it was like to feel the presence of sin dwell within him and even overpower his desire to carry out the will of God for his life. And it perplexed him. And he expresses these thoughts in Romans 7. I want to go back to a few of them for you. Let's go to verse 14, Romans 7 once again. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Maybe, maybe that is your story this morning. Maybe you're a Christian who really desires to carry out the will of God for your life, every facet of God's will, God's best for you, but you just find it so difficult more often than not. And if that's your testimony, you're in good company, right? That's my testimony. I'm in good company. Remember when the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and he reprimands them because they, they couldn't even pray for one hour with the Lord. And do you remember what the Lord cited as being their real problem? Well, it wasn't because they stayed up too late the night before. He said that the reason why his disciples couldn't stay awake and pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation to desert their Lord uh, when, his enemy, when his enemies showed up to arrest him was that their spirit, small s, their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. There's the problem. And I'm going to talk about what we mean by the flesh in just a little bit, but suffice it to say here that there are many times in our Christian lives where we know what the right or righteous thing to do is. It's not that we don't know what it is we should be doing, but we just struggle to carry it out. Like our, our electrical cord is not plugged in to the source of heaven somehow. And we just don't seem to have the ability or the willpower to do what God wants us to do. Dare I say that many believers feel that way and they live their Christian experience in a sort of one step forward, two step back kind of pattern. And this is such a common problem. This is such a common problem for the life of every believer. It's a common problem. It's not a problem shared by just a few. Many Christians, many Christians I've come across in pastoral ministry, listen, 
many pastors I've come across in pastoral ministry struggle tremendously spiritually to lead their churches and to be righteous men. Pastors. This is such a common problem. We don't like to admit that we're struggling spiritually, right? It kind of makes us come across like we're not reading our Bibles enough, uh, like we don't love God enough, like we're not trusting God enough, like we're not praying enough, like we're not godly enough, like we're not spiritual enough. Uh, who here is struggling spiritually? No one wants to put their hand up, right? And yet the reality is there are points in the Christian life when it seems just simply impossible to live as Jesus wants us to live. Am I right? I mean, we uh, read passages like Matthew 5-7 to and we go, yikes. Right? The Sermon on the Mount? Plug my ears, man. That's hard to take. Right? I mean, we make God a promise. I will not speak to so-and-so in an ungodly manner and then we go out and do the exact opposite. Or we pray, Lord, I know my attitude needs to change towards a certain situation, but then we keep on thinking the same bad thoughts and unproductive thoughts about the same situation. And we find our Christian life is like a house that is darkened, with no power on it. Because there's little power to light things up in it. And our Christian lives are like a car without an engine that just can't seem to get out from where it's parked. It's frustrating when we know we're not living as God wants us to live. For those who care about the state of their spiritual lives, this is a real problem for us. It's a real problem. And the problem is never with God. The problem is never with God. The problem is never within someone else. It's not within our circumstances. The problem always lies within us. It always lies within us. It lies within that rebellious part of us that Paul identifies here in Romans 7 as the sinful nature or the flesh. In the Bible, the flesh is every part of us that is uh, in a spiritually fallen state. And here's the problem. Our flesh, that part of us that is oriented away from God's will, does two things. First of all, it rejects the will of God every time. And secondly, it opposes the power of the Holy Spirit. So it rejects the will of God every time, and it rejects the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to turn us toward God's will. Our flesh, we could say, has a mind of its own. And it is never will of God friendly. That's why the power we need to live out the will and and word of God can never come from our own desire, you see and our own strength to do so. This is what Paul identified as the problem in the Christian life. It was a problem in his life. Says Paul in uh, Romans 7.20, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I, that is him as a new person in Christ, right? it is no longer that person, I, who do it, but it is sin living in me. So Paul knew what was hindering him from carrying out the will and word of God in his life. He knew what his problem was. It was his flesh, his sinful nature. But he also knew the solution to his problem. And that was the power of God in Jesus Christ. Let's go back. 
Verse 21 of Romans 7, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. So Paul knows his problem. But then he knows the solution. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul knew. How do I get out of this? How do I get through this struggle? It is the power of Jesus Christ at work in his life. There's a lot there basically, right? But, but Paul is saying here, help me, Jesus. Help me. Take the wheel of my life. I need more of you and less of me. And that's a great prayer to pray when we're struggling. I need more of you, Lord, and less of me. Perhaps that's the reason why so few are lining up for Christianity. It's hard to live for Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's thinking hard to live for Jesus because there is so much in our lives, in our minds, in our circumstances, in this world that, that challenges us and puts our spiritual maturity to the test. And if you're like me, an imperfect Christian, you fail a lot. You fail a lot. The power of the Christian life then is what? Our good intentions or our striving to be lived out for God? No. It's the other way around. The power of the Christian life is Christ's life. Christ's life being lived out through His disciple. And this was something Paul just, just ached to experience. In fact, the Apostle desired Christ's power to fuel every spiritual nook and cranny of His redeemed life. Remember what he said in Philippians 3? I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection in my life. That was the Apostle's hope. So Paul sought the power of God in place of his own because in his own he knew he couldn't cut it. Remember the words he wrote in Galatians as well. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In order to carry out the will and word of God, the good He wills, the righteousness He wills, consistently and in all circumstances, whether favorable or unfavorable, whether in good times or in challenging times, requires that we die to ourselves, right? That we deny ourselves and what our sinful nature is telling us to do and to crave and access the power of God in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's, it's, it's not God's will. It's not God's will for us to be perpetually frustrated in our ability to carry out, to carry out His, His will and to do that, um, and be that which God wants us to be and do. Jesus didn't die for us in order for us to be languishing. Listen, I'm using the word languishing. We all struggle. But to languish in disobedience, in, in terrible struggle and um, uh, being so so down in our spiritual life is is not God's will for us. Right? He died to free us from that kind of thing. Is it's not His will for us to be languishing in a spiritually unproductive and discouraged and defeated life? Right? 
That's not His will for us. The power behind living the Christian life is not about you and I trying harder. It's not about you and I merely knowing what the right thing or the good thing is to do. Rather, it comes from Christ's resurrection power being lived out through us. That's how we're sanctified in the Christian life. That's how we're transformed in the Christian life. That's how we're empowered in the Christian life. It all comes from Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit working through us. But we've got to want it, right? We've got to want to crave it. <clears throat> sometimes we just find it hard to do so. Some, sometimes we just find it, you know, certain people to be barely likable, let alone lovable. I'm talking about challenges, right? And you know, we could try in our own strength to be more loving towards someone that has done us great wrong all day, but until we get on our knees, until we get on our knees and ask and want Jesus to give us the power to love as He does and to help us to give up our own will in exchange for His, we'll probably falter in our ability to fully love people the way that Jesus wants us to love them. And if we cannot love people the way Jesus wants us to love people, how are we going to be like Jesus? It's frustrating. It's convicting when we're not living as the Lord would have us live. We could be disillusioned about life. We could be floundering in failures. We could be an angry person. We could be racked with bitterness. And yet there's always hope. There's always hope because the world's Redeemer, Jesus, yet lives and lives to reign not only on high, but in the lowly and in the contrite and in those who receive Him and who acknowledge that they can only do this Christian life through His power. To end, I was uh, <clears throat> speaking with some missionaries not long ago who uh, ministered to Burmese refugees that were entering into Thailand. And uh, God brought this man across their path who tried his whole life to stop drinking. He was an alcoholic and he had it really bad. And he wasn't very healthy. He was very sick. But then he gave his life to Christ and almost immediately, he lost his taste for alcohol. The desire to drink was gone within a short week. And it was really miraculous. And he then made a, a switch in his life and he realized that, that, that he needed the power of Christ to live out the rest of his life. He came to Jesus in that one moment and that miracle happened, but then he realizes he needed the Lord after that. And that's what God does. That's what He does. This is how He works. And He wants to do this work in your life and He wants to do that work in, in my life. And it may not be alcoholism. It may be something else. Maybe it's work alcoholism. Kind of, you know, it's workaholic stuff. Maybe, you know, it's a vice that we haven't quite thrown out of our lives yet since we came to Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe it's a, something that's chaining us and has been chaining us for a while, and yet Jesus bids that we come and we take on His power to release us from the bondages that we may still have. He took, God took a darkened, self-righteous man in Paul and changed him into a dynamic minister and champion of the Christian faith. The same God who holds the the solution to the perplexing problems in our spiritual lives and who desires to grant us all the power that we need 
to progress in this process and journey that is the Christian life. May God's word be blessed to your heart this morning. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent your Son, that you have not left us powerless. And Jesus said that when after he had ascended, he said to his disciples that, that he would send them the promised Holy Spirit, the power that they need to live this life. And sometimes, Father, I think we just, we just take that for granted. We wake up and we think we can get through our days as Christians in our own strength. We're all guilty of it. I know that I am. And yet, when something happens and something goes wrong and we fail and we do something we know that is totally disobedient and we remember, oh, why, why did I do this? I wasn't walking in your will. I wasn't walking in your power. I wasn't asking you for strength. Maybe we weren't in your word for a while. But you will that we live this life, this, this Christian spiritual life, by the power of your Son. Well, may that thought be renewed in our hearts and minds today as we journey through this life. Father, we ask this in your precious Son's name. Amen.